Being a geek is all about being honest about what you enjoy and not being afraid to demonstrate that affection. It means never having to play it cool about how much you like something. It's basically a license to proudly emote on a somewhat childish level rather than behave like a supposed adult. Being a geek is extremely liberating. Those were the words of Simon Pegg. I'm Luke Hector, and you're listening to the Broken Meeple Podcast. The top 75 is done, and we're back with normal routines. First up, free first impressions of some recently played games, then a brand new segment to the Broken Meeple, followed by my top 10 games that I'm anticipating from Essen 2015. Hello, welcome back everyone. It's the last week of September 2015 and it's time to get back on the normal road when it comes to this podcast. The top 75 was a good hit. I thank everybody who listened to that and gave me feedback. Feel free to check out the geek list that is on BoardGameGeek if you want to look at the written version of my top 75 list and post up your opinions about the games I've got on there, maybe put some comments about ones that you feel I've missed and why. I'm always up for discussion. But for now, it's back to the usual format, maybe with some alterations and maybe with some additional segments I might want to try in the future but I'll think about that more and maybe touch up on that during the October podcast for now Essen 2015 is just around the corner what two weeks no less than two weeks now away it's getting to that point and I'm scared trust me I am scared the UK Games Expo was big enough as it was I am now going to basically the top rated convention in the world well I, I don't know Gen Con still gets quite a big buzz but you know Essen in Germany I never thought I would ever get to attend that place and now all of a sudden I am from literally just the UK Games Expo which yeah it's busy it's a fun packed event but this is one hell of a giant leap to what conventions are like and how packed they can be and how frantic they can be to get the games you want it's going to be a shock But I'll happily talk about my thoughts at the October podcast, which might be slightly earlier than usual because I'm going to be on holiday in the last week of October in the half-term week for the UK. So it's the chance that I might do the podcast slightly earlier or slightly later. It depends on how much time I've got. But so far, this month has been pretty good for gaming in general, especially with some of the review copies I've been getting of late. You will notice some fairly recent reviews have gone up, like Nations the Dice Game and just ever so recently Codenames has hit the list and hopefully maybe by the time this podcast is out you might also have seen Predator Legendary. If not, you'll see that very, very soon. But of course there's going to be more games on the horizon for me to try, especially with Essen. I hope to pick up a ton of games over Essen and see how they go. In terms of the games in general I'm playing, I've finally managed to get my own campaign of Imperial Assault underway. Usually I've just been playing someone else's campaign or bit skirmish missions. And now I actually get to play the Empire faction and take four rebels along, hopefully trying to destroy them as I go. Unfortunately, it hasn't got off to the best start in that regard because I lost the first mission. Oh well, it's the aftermath introductory mission. You know, the Empire is meant to lose the introduction. Right? Right, guys? 
I hope so, otherwise I'm a rubbish Empire player. But I've got some good stuff lined up for them soon. They're going to be trying to meet up with Han Solo in a side mission on from the Twin Shadows expansion, no less, actually. It looks like a very involved and a fairly combat-heavy mission, so I can't wait to unleash that on them. And then after that, they've got the uh, a new Fret story mission, I believe it is, which, from what I recall, and I'm, I'm going to play the game tomorrow, so don't worry, there's no spoilers for them if they decide to listen to this podcast. It involves bringing in General Rice and his walker along, and I remember the fun I had when my uh, Jedi wannabe ended up facing that head-on. So that's going to be a good laugh to throw on them. Outside of gaming, though, there's been some interesting developments. I'm still on the dating scene trying to find, uh, you know, obviously the new love of my life. I mean, who isn't when they're single? And that's been a hit and miss affair, although there is somebody I'm hopefully going to meet soon who also shares a sort of like passion for games as well as dancing and stuff. So, you know, I've got high hopes and I'm still continuing along that front on a personal note. The biggest personal note that I've recently got into, though, is that for a while, I've had an interest in tarot, the spiritualistic, you know, card reading. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know what I mean, the tarot card. So the, the fool, the devil, the hermit, the tower, the, the five of cups, the eight of swords. Um, if you want to know exactly how they work, um, you can see how they were represented in Live and Let Die, the James Bond film. Now, granted, it's slightly elaborated there because they use it as a kind of fortune-telling device, whereas it's not quite like that. It's certainly not like predicting the future in some really accurate way or anything. But the cards that you see get played there, like you know the Queen of Cups in the reverse position and all those quotes that you get from the film, that's essentially what is what the tarot deck looks like. Well, it's been interesting me for a little while, but I've never bothered to learn it since about six years ago when I tried to self-teach myself it. It didn't go too well. I enjoyed what I did, but it was so difficult to try and access all these 78 cards with all their meanings by myself. I ideally need instruction. And so I knew that there were the courses going on in Portsmouth for um, a charity foundation who specializes in things like holistic medicine, psychic development, tarot card reading, that kind of thing. But they usually clashed with the Monday Club for Southampton, so I've always been putting them off. Until recently. The Southampton gaming group that I'm in has reached a bit of a sort of, almost a bit of a stalling uh, point at the moment because we haven't got a venue. The venue that we used to have ended up closing for refurbishment and then opening and then deciding they weren't going to open on Monday, so that kind of screwed us over. We're now frantically looking for other venues and they've been hit and misses in terms of, oh, this works, but it's got bad lighting, this was okay, but the space is limited, or they've got a quiz on, that kind of thing, or we can't have it every week. And we're kind of struggling, but we're going to keep looking and see what we find. Hopefully, by the time the new year is up, there'll be a board game cafe in Southampton or something. There are rumors of such a thing happening. And when that does, then we can just move it to there. That should be pretty good. But for now, this seemed like the best time for me to start learning how to read a tarot deck. It's a 12-week beginner course that I'm doing. I had the first session literally ended two hours ago, and I really enjoyed it. I mean, we literally just did the basics of how the course was going to run, and then talked a bit about the history of tarot, and did a couple of spreads. They're called the Celtic Cross Spread, is the like official one, and we basically just quickly went through as a group a one card and a three card spread with a couple of questions in mind and I found it just really interesting it really does get your intuitive mind juices flowing and 
gets you to just look a bit further than just instantly what you see in front of you. It's a cool thing, and obviously this is only the first out of 12 weeks, so we'll see how that pans out over the course of the next three months. I'll give you guys a bit of an update on the podcast as things go along. But that doesn't mean I'm giving up board games. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, the Imperial Assault campaign is still running. And on Wednesday, I've got the usual Portsmouth on board club. Thursday, uh, the Petersfield club I go to is now held every two weeks. So I can go to that twice a month if I get on the waiting list. And, well, what else is coming up? StabCon is in Southampton this week. Um, Whether you will see the podcast having already been released before this weekend is another thing. But on the last weekend of Southampton, sorry, last weekend of September is StabCon in Southampton. And that's a free two and a half, that's more of a two and a half day event of just pure gaming. That's going to be fun, although it's clashing with Dice Portsmouth second open day that they're doing at the Apex Gallery in Gumworth. So what I'm probably going to do is mix between the two. I'll go to StabCon on Friday evening, then I'll go to Dice Portsmouth on Saturday, and then I'll go back to StabCon on Sunday. That way I get a nice mix of games, because Saturday... Well, I mean, the the Dice Portsmouth on Saturday will be good fun. I'll see some mates of mine that are new to gaming. I get to teach a lot of the gateway games that I still find as classics, like Flashpoint Fire Rescue and Takinoko and stuff like that. And I get to see the Dice Portsmouth gang again, which will probably include hopefully Ricky Barson's uh, one of the founders of it after he's hopefully soon going to return from his long 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 honeymoon with his new wife I mean fair play to him and good luck to your mate for a long and happy future but my god the amount of Facebook photos I've seen you put up seriously how long was this honeymoon I swear you've covered the entire continent of America with this honeymoon you're making me well jealous ah well that aside let's get on with the podcast about board gaming that is why you are here so free first impressions coming right up Okay, starting with the first impressions, and I apologise if my voice sounds a little bit weird this episode. I seem to have a very mild case of tonsillitis at this point, and my speech might be impaired slightly as a result, but we'll see how things go. First, first impression I'm going to go with is one that I played all the way back at Gridcon, actually. So, it was a fair while ago that this one happened, but I couldn't talk about it during the Top 75 list, and that is The Voyages of Marco Polo. It's been getting quite a lot of buzz lately. It's another one of these dice placement games where you roll dice and then place them on the board to do various actions. I already own Kingsburg, which I like, and I already own Alien Frontiers, which I really like. So I wasn't sure where I was going to place Marco Polo in this crowd. And after the first game, I'm going to put it at number three. I still think it's a pretty good game. It certainly gives you a few choices, it certainly is very well produced, and the game itself is quite entertaining. But I have a small issue with this, and it's the length. The length, I believe, was only five rounds, might be six, I think it's only five rounds. And people may say that keeps the game short, although I wouldn't call this the shortest game in the world, because the analysis paralysis can get a bit un, you know, a bit out of hand sometimes. But five rounds doesn't seem like it's long enough to me because the main two ways that you are getting points is by either moving across that map at the top and doing various things or getting the contracts. Now, the contracts can be done relatively quickly. 
the map takes ages to get your guys around. No matter which guy you're using, it takes a while because it's an expensive job to do. And by the time you get to those various places to put your little tea houses down and get the bonuses, there's not much of the game left in order to get the most out of them, and yet you've put in so much effort to do them. Whereas the contracts, all you've basically got to do is just keep harvesting materials all the time and then spend them on them. So it almost seems like the contracts is the best way to play it, and the map almost seems like the potential to use it isn't there unless you've got some incredibly speedy way of getting across that map, which, to be honest, is difficult to do, especially when you've got those objectives where if you get to two different cities, then you get some more points. But that's really hard to do when most of you, most of the time you've only got one guy to take around the map. I had the guy who... I had the special power, because they, they are quite powerful, these, that allowed you to have two guys running around the map. And it was still non-impossible to get to all the cities that I needed. So it the map just almost seems like the potential is there and it doesn't work. And I'd need to play it a couple more times to see if that carries weight. But I don't know. It's, I still like it, but it's not going to be Kingsburg and it certainly isn't going to be Alien Frontiers, which is definitely my favourite out of the dice placement games I've played to date. So Marco Polo is a decent enough game. But I'll play it every now and again, but I'm not searching it out, and it's certainly not going to be a collection uh, placement. So, that's the Voyages of Marco Polo. Next up, we've got the Red Dragon Inn by Slugfest Games. Now, the Red Dragon Inn, I had doubts going into this. I have played some minor filler games that are all about everyone drinking in a pub and doing sorts of weird and wacky stuff. Braggar is essentially that. I've played things like Bar Fight and other similar games. And that theme, I don't know, it's never really produced a game that I can consider a classic. This one started off on the right foot. It was light-hearted. You just played card. You just played a card every turn and then drank a drink and it was I like the theme that, you know, your fortitude and your intoxication are two separate tracks and if they meet you lose. I thought that was quite neat. And I really like the fact that with the expansions included, you had all these different characters from your typical D&D fantasy like cleric and bard and fighter that kind of thing. And each one had their own unique deck and style of play, maybe even a couple of rules tweaks. That I thought was pretty neat. However, we played this with, I believe, four players. We might have even done it with five, actually, because I think the expansion might have allowed for five. And the it just took too long. This it says it's only 45 minutes on the Board Game Geek, and I suppose that's pretty accurate if you play with less players. But with five, it just took too long. There was a couple of players that were just APing like crazy, and it's like you've only got to look at, what, six or seven cards with very basic abilities on them, and most of them are rinse and repeat. So it really shouldn't take that long to think of your turn, but it was dragging out a lot, and in the end, it is basically a luck fest. You draw the cards out of a deck randomly. You don't know what other players have in their hands, so you don't know whether they've got the counters to your cards. And some players, I swear, have better counters than some of the other cards because there was a lot of times where I found my stuff getting completely screwed over and in comparison, my stuff barely annoyed anyone, even my most powerful card in the deck. I think I was playing the Bard. It was sort of more concerned about gambling, and they had a few tricks to do with gambling, but the other players just had cards that said, I outright win this gambling regardless, nothing can stop me. I was like, well, that's a bit sucky for the bard then. I don't know. It was okay. I didn't mind it, but... And I, I, 
well another problem is that you probably need the expansions in order to really get the most out of this and they're probably not cheap i don't know how easy this game is to find or whether it's even still in print it came out in 2007 so it was quite a while ago well at least in game terms and you know it's not too bad but i think that to buy the base game and then get expansions to have all the wide variety of characters i don't think there's enough game here to really warrant it so it's okay but it's not one that i'm going to seek out again And then finally, let's end on a more positive note with the first impressions. And this was a game that I had never heard of before someone showed this to me. It was by Abacus Spiel, and it's called Cacao. C-A-C-A-O. And it was a tile placement game that essentially had you growing coffee beans and selling coffee beans, as well as trying to find little temples and build next to lakes and such. And it had a sort of Carcassonne-esque feel to it, except the tweak was that as you laid out these tiles, you had the special tiles that got you the points and allowed you to get coffee and stuff, but the workers were represented by your own little mini deck of tiles, and on different edges it had different numbers of workers between 0 and 3. And the idea was is that depending where you placed it, if it was next to a special tile, you worked it depending on how many workers you had. So let's say you had a coffee harvest field or something there, and you put one that said that had three of your little meeples on the side of it. It means that you would get free coffee beans. And the same goes applies for all the other ones, like selling the beans and getting water and such and such. It was actually quite a neat game. It's not, like, fantastic. I'm not going to say it's like a massive belter, but it played reasonably quickly. Component quality was pretty good. Looks very pretty when you get it out. Tile-laying games are quite entertaining in general. I don't think it's that expensive a game either. I think it was only published this year, so it's certainly a fairly recent game. And it was recommended for the Spiel de Yaris. I don't think it actually won it, but it was recommended. And I can see why, because I could see any family getting into this. The suggested age is 8+, and I reckon that's fairly accurate. Maybe 10+, to be on the safe side. But it's certainly not a difficult game to grasp or get into. But it's... It, I would call this like one of those games that fits in the category of does what it says on the tin, or the coffee bean jar in this case, I suppose. It actually is relatively short, relatively easy, relatively fun. You know, does what it says on the box. Nice, neat little game. Not the best thing since like spread, but it just works. I couldn't really think of many faults to say about it. I couldn't really think of anything to absolutely love about it either. It's just a neat little game, and I recommend you at least give it a try. So, cacao. Cacao! And now I have something a little bit different for you guys. I was getting a bit bored just doing discussion segment on each one, and I was starting to run out of topics to talk about. If your listeners want to give me some ideas, then feel free, I'll see what I can do. But I wanted to chop and change things every now and again. Obviously, I'm still going to do the top tens every time, and I'm still going to do the first impressions every time, and then do the the odd specials like the top 75 now and again. But the discussion segment was getting a little bit dull, so I wanted to chop and change and use the different segment every now and again. You know, one I might run for a little while and then change it to something else. Depends how many musical intros I've got on this software for a start, but also depends on how many ideas I've got and whether they'll actually make good listening. So this 
this is a trial run of a segment that I want to... Well, if you can give me a better name, I'll think of it. But for now, it's just going to be called One More Game. And the idea of this is I look back and see what games I reviewed or started to bar, sorry, started to play or collected a while ago. Usually at least a year, if not two years ago, preferably, like when I first started getting back into board gaming. And then I talk about whether it's kind of held up since. And obviously it might have been sold by then, in which case it wouldn't have held up. But it depends on the game. And I'm just going to pick them at random, usually, or you can suggest something from my board game geek list. But this one feels a bit more nostalgic. And this time I'm talking about Flashpoint Fire Rescue. Flashpoint Fire Rescue was the first game I ever reviewed on this blog. In fact, it's probably the first board game I've reviewed of all time. It was a co-op firefighting game. It still is. Why am I saying it like that? But this is still in my collection, and if you were listening to my Top 75, you would have heard it came to number 4. I believe number 4 in my Top 75, Flashpoint Fire Rescue, is still going strong even two years on. Now, granted, it hasn't seen as much play as it did in the first year. I would say plays have dropped a little bit in the second year as other games are coming out and I'm having to try more games. But when people suggest a game of Flashpoint Fire Rescue, I'm usually up for it. And granted, I haven't actually seen many people own this game, but when I show this to people, they enjoy it. And it doesn't matter whether they're a gamer or a non-gamer because Flashpoint Fire Rescue gives you the really useful, like the family mode, where it just sets the game up for you and you just dive in with no rolls, no fiddly little tokens and stuff like that, and you just get stuck in and conquered some fires. And that works great for families and little kids. But the original proper experienced version of the game where you put the rolls in and you've got the deck gun for the fire engine and you can change your you know, rolls during a game and you have to get the people to the ambulance, not just simply get them out of the building. That is the way that I'm usually teaching people how to play this game. And it doesn't matter if I'm teaching it to three people or six people, it still plays reasonably quickly, you know, anywhere between 45 minutes to 75 to 90 minutes. And it always goes down well because it's a co-op. It's easy to teach. Most people know how to do the whole action point system. There's reference cards in there. The roles aren't particularly tricky to figure out. And everyone just gets into the theme because I'm not badgering them to say, you must do this, you must do this, because I like to think of myself as not an alpha gamer. People can do what they like in this game, and it's usually pretty useful. I usually tend to explain maybe four to five options that they've got on their turn, and they'll agree with one of them or prefer to do something else. Either way, it still works. You're contributing to the group. Now, the expansions have come for this game since, and I have to admit, it probably wouldn't be as high on my top 75, and probably not as widely talked about now, if I hadn't got Extreme Danger. Extreme Danger was a big box expansion, it was on my top 10 expansions, because I do believe it's a must-buy once you've uh, tested the... when you've dipped your toes in the water, shall we say, in the base game, it's really worth getting this expansion. It was a big box one, so it came with miniatures for the various firemen, so you weren't just generic moulds. And to be fair, it's a little bit tricky to tell which one is which sometimes, it's not overly clear, but I've got them memorised down to a T, so it's not so much of a problem anymore. And then on top of that, you had two extra boards. You had the lab, which was two stories, which was a neat neat little change, and the mechanics garage where things could blow up. And you also had a little mini board that bolted onto those two to make a basement or a second floor or even a third floor if you put it in the meth lab. In fact, to be honest, I actually 
find that to be one of the most enjoyable scenarios I can play having the free story building because it really makes it a challenge when you've got to run up several staircases in order to get to where you want to go unless you use the fire engines ladders which come in this expansion as well to climb to various windows it just really draws out the theme even more as if the original game didn't do that already now I do occasionally not, not as much as I used to but see some people go well it's too random for me well, co all right, yes, you know, there is a randomness to it because of the way that the fire spreads. But hello, it's fire. Fire is not predictable. Fire is not logical. It just spreads, you know. It just goes all over the shop. One minute you'll be on top of everything and have no trouble whatsoever. Like I was on Dice Portsmouth when I was teaching the game to five others. I thought we had this in the bag and we were doing just fine. Then it got a little bit of out of hand. And we lost too many victims, including the dog. Sorry about that. If you're a dog lover, we failed you. But that's the thing. It can really change to such a large degree. And that's a good thing with this game. You can't just game the system. You can't just get cocky about when you're on top of the game and where you think, yeah, we got this in the bag. Yeah. Um, how about you save that for when you actually have won the game, not beforehand? And on top of that... There were other expansions as well, but I do not think they are essential to the game. I certainly think Extreme Danger is. You should really get that if you're going to delve into this deeply. But the rest of them were all little mini-expansions. Uh, there were two before Extreme Danger, Second Story and Urban Structures. I think you'll find it hard to get those now, certainly Second Story, because to be perfectly honest, Extreme Danger kind of replaced Second Story, because the whole point of Second Story was, well, funny enough, Second Story. And Extreme Danger already did that for you. The, the Urban Structures one is pretty good, though, if you can find a copy of it, because, yeah, it gave you the uh, engineer role, which isn't exactly that much of a big deal, although he is quite a challenge to use, and he can be useful if used right, but you pretty much have to babysit him. The main thing with the Urban Structures, though, were the two maps you got in that, which are actually fairly well designed. You've got a skyscraper that means that you have to get people to the elevator and yes firefighters can use elevators when necessary in firefights it is proven and they also had the apartment building which i really like because it's a bit like the house you know it's just one floor but it's split into two so you have to run out of one apartment in order to get into the other unless you wait for the fire or your axe or chainsaw to chop through the wall in the center it's quite a neat little twist and it certainly does add a complication when you want to get from one place to the other quickly but it's tricky because you don't want the, the whole building to collapse on you any quicker than it already is and then the other expansions that have come out dangerous waters and the recent honor and duty they're nice but they are by no means essential they bring some interesting maps they add some rule tweaks the rule books could explain them a bit better it is a bit disappointing how the rule books aren't 100% clear on certain aspects but all in all they're a nice little addition but you certainly don't have to go out your way unless you're really desperate to want to play in a subway station or on a plane or in a submarine and to be fair the submarine is a good laugh every now and again and it's certainly a neat little twist but you're pretty good with extreme danger for the most part at least from the word go you know, you shouldn't even delve into Extreme Danger until you've played Flashpoint, the base game, a few times anyway, because you need to get used to how to set it up and how the things work. Once you've dipped your toes in a bit, you can get into Extreme Danger. But this is still holding up well. I still enjoy it. I still find it to be, I believe, if I'm looking at my list right, my favourite co-op game. 
Oh, stupid. Of course it's not my favourite co-op game. Sentinels of the Multiverse. God, sacrilege. How did I forget that? Okay, my second favourite co-op game. In fact, actually, I better just check. It is definitely... I've got... Oh, my God, I'm having such a... It's been a long day at work. How can I think that? No, it's still technically only my fourth favourite co-op because... Technically, my top four games in the top 75 list were all co-ops. There was Sentinels in the Multiverse, there was Legendary Encounters, an alien game, and the Lord of the Rings card game. They came above this. Okay, rephrase, it's not my favourite co-op of all time. It's my favourite gateway co-op of all time. That makes more sense. Yes, ah, got out of that one. Um, This is the one that I like to bring out when teaching people a co-op if I want to have the most enjoyment out of it. Now, granted, it's not the easiest one to teach people, unless you're using the family game, in which case it is pretty straightforward. But there are one, you know, I do like to bring out Forbidden Desert, for example, as a very good, easy teaching co-op, but it's not my favourite co-op of all time. So if I was to have a choice between the two, I would pick Flashpoint in a heartbeat. It's still fun, whether with gamers or with non-gamers. I still enjoy it. I bring it to all the Dice Portsmouth open days that they do because it is a perfect gateway game. And I'm not entirely certain that uh, Ricky and Lee actually have a copy of this game. If if not, shame on you. You better make sure you get one for the uh, cafe. If not, I'll be having words. Honestly, got to keep the good stuff in there. And I still enjoy playing it with gamers. We get a harder map out, rack the difficulty up. I have beaten it on heroic mode several times. It is possible, but it certainly does make it more difficult. But... The theme is good, the randomness suits it, the production quality is okay, but to be honest, it's indie board and card games are a relatively small publisher, and production quality is not something that they're focusing on terribly. I'm not saying they're bad, but they, you know, obviously compared to something like Fantasy Flight, it's obviously a bit of a different league. But it's still good, it still looks good on the table, and it's still a blast to play, and in the end, that's the main thing. So... Flashpoint Fire Rescue, two years on. One more game? Oh, definitely yes. And we're back with another top 10. Thankfully, just a 10 this time. Top 75 was getting a little bit... It was getting a bit tiring to put that together. And let me tell you, fun but tiring. Now we're just back to good old 10. And obviously, because Essen is just around the corner and I'm gearing up for it as we speak, I'm going to go for my top 10 anticipated Essen games. Now, one or two caveats. One, I'm including expansions in this because this Essen does seem it does seem like it's kind of like the Essen for the expansions because there is a lot of them coming out there. And secondly, even if this game was re- technically previewed or released to a few people at Gen Con... If it wasn't released here in the UK, then I'm counting it on this list. There are one or two games on this list where you might have been able to get a copy of this at Gen Con, but those of us in the UK couldn't, and this is the first opportunity I have to get a proper working copy of this game. So, those two caveats aside, there's quite a few games I've already pre-ordered for Essen. Not all of them are on this list. It depends, uh, you know, there was restrictions on which ones I could actually pre-order. But there's plenty on this list, and there was a lot of games I had to sift through to try and find a top 10. So there's plenty of choices, put it that way. So, top 10 anticipated Essen games, here we go.
Number 10 is a big deluxe set, and I'm not talking about Takinoko Deluxe, even though some people on Twitter will have seen me mention that. That was released a while back, but I am going to get a copy of that at Essen. This is a new deluxe set of another game, one that I've never played but always wanted to try, despite the fact it was clearly stated that this sort of game would take many, many hours to play. And I'm not talking Twilight Imperium length, I'm talking longer. We're talking like this might have to be played over a couple of days in order to get this one done. I'm talking about Civilization, specifically the Mega Civilization box set that is being released at Essen. Now, I never got to play the old Avalon Hill Civilization, the one that went on for many hours and days, but I would have liked to. I do enjoy a good Civilization game, even long ones, if I've got the time set aside for it. This one caught my eye because it was essentially a reprint, a restreamline of that classic game, with some obviously upgraded components, which is certainly a must. I think the old one wasn't the best in component-wise. After all, it was an old game. But this one will come in a nice wooden crate, and it will have a nice board and hopefully decent cards. I must admit, not a huge amount of detail has been given about this, or at least, well, if it has, I certainly haven't found it myself. So I'm kind of taking this as a bit of a gamble. But I got paid recently by um, by people invoice-wise. I do a bit of self-employed work on the side. So what the hell? I wanted to splash out a bit at Essen this year, being my first time. So that's why it squeaks onto the list at number 10. I reckon I'm going to enjoy it. It's just I hope I can find enough people to want to devote the time to playing Mega Civilization. Number 9 is the two-player version of a classic card drafting game that is in my collection and high on my top 75 list. I believe it was number 13, and that is Seven Wonders Duel. Now, Seven Wonders Duel does look like a fun game. I've seen the Dice Tower reviews, I've seen other people review it, and it looks like good fun. And I know some people who will play this with me on a regular basis, so it should get some time on the table. But it is a two-player game only, after all, and two-player games are more tricky for me to get to the table. But this could be one of those two-player games that I'm willing to keep in the collection because it does look like a lot of fun, and keeping in line with that whole Seven Wonders theme. So I got some high-ish hopes for this. It's not terribly expensive. It's you know it's based on a system I already know, so learning it should be relatively easy, and it doesn't even look that complicated to teach to someone new. So... We'll see how this one goes. Seven Wonders Duel. Number eight, and we're going back to the civilization genre now, and I can already I can already hear the the little girl squealing of a mate of mine, Paul Grogan, as I say this next one, because he's been banging on about this for a long time through Czech Game Editions, and I don't blame him, that's what he's supposed to do, but in fair play, it's on this list, so obviously I'm looking forward to it too. And that is the fourth edition reprint of Through the Ages. Through the Ages I never owned in my collection. Well, I did briefly, but I had to get rid of it because it was never going to get played in a lifetime, and I barely managed to understand the rules. I was able to get a proper teaching of this at uh, Manicon this year, Virapool, and this was the 4th edition prototype at the time. And I really enjoyed it, as I expected to, because it's a big civilization game, and despite the fact it took a long time, even with just two of us, I still really enjoyed it, and I liked the way that the 4th edition reprint not only streamlined some of the rules, but also improved the components so that it didn't look like such a 
bleh on the table. You know, the artwork is now nice and sort of computer generated. It's a bit more colourful. The board, graphic design wise, looks better. It's easier to follow. So it's not quite as complicated and all over the shop. So this one should be good. I'm probably going to be picking up a copy of this while I'm there. I'm Again, it's one of those games that you hope you can get it to the table. However, it still has competition from Nations, which is still in my collection. And, well, we'll see whether there's anything to boost Nations later on. But certainly that is still going to be a factor in whether I get through the ages as well. Because they do play very similarly. This is a reprint though. Nations has been out for a while, so who knows, can they exist side by side, or am I going to have to cull one to get the other? We're going to have to see on this one. But I want to see the game played in its entirety, in its finished form, so through the ages, 4th edition, my number 8. Number seven is Champions of Midgard. This has been touted out as a Lords of Waterdeep killer. That's a big, bold claim to make, especially when Lords of Waterdeep is a game I really like, and it's one of those almost like a gateway worker placement game. It's not that difficult to teach, and there aren't that many easy worker placement games you can teach people. But this one involves custom dice, it has the Viking theme, which doesn't get used a great deal to a thematic sense anyway. There are some Viking games, but they're very abstracted. And it does look like a good laugh. The component quality is excellent. The gameplay looks like fun. It looks like there's plenty of choices in what you can do. And that theme is there. You mean, you know, you're going out and fighting monsters and things like that. With some worker placement and dice placement involved. It looks like this one's going to be a good hit. So I'm eager to see whether we can finally get a Viking game that carries the theme that I like. And yes, yes, I know, I haven't played Blood Rage yet. I'll get on to that when I ever see a copy of it. But it's cool mini or not, so I'm holding my breath. Recently, they're not exactly impressing me. I mean, go check out my Smog... Uh, Majesty Secret Service review for my viewpoints on Cool Mini or not at the moment but certainly I'm going to be giving this one a look and I believe it's already on my buy list so yes I will be giving it a look Champions of Midgard number 7 Number six, and we're getting on to expansions now. This is the first expansion on the list, and it is for the castles of Mad King Ludwig, and, or Ludwig, however you want to pronounce it, and that is Secrets. Secrets doesn't seem to have a great deal in it, to my knowledge, but the main thing it has is the ability to have moats around your castle, and this will affect rooms in certain ways. You can muffle the sound from those activity rooms that always got negative points every time you put things anywhere near them and it looks like it will give you new ways to make your castle just look really pretty on the table and maybe add just that little bit of extra theme so it'll be interesting to see how this one goes i mean there's not much to say about it because it does look like it's one of those more of the same deals just with a couple of rule tweaks for them but essentially yeah you'll get more goals you'll get more rooms you'll get more you know the moats tiles and that that you can put out and it's hopefully gonna just add that little bit of extra spark to a game i already really like it was in my uh lowish mid 30s i think 35 i believe this one came in and it's a good one with me so we'll see how it goes madkin ludwig secrets (music) 
Number five. Now, the details I found aren't as descriptive as I would like, but this one I'm looking forward to because I've been searching for the out-of-print version of this game for a long time and never managed to find it. The old version of this game was called Cloud9, and this one is called Celestia. Besides the fact that the game looks eye-droppingly gorgeous in terms of its artwork. I mean, so much so that I thought, well, for an extra few euro, I'm just going to get the extra twin balls and the t-shirt as well to go with this game when I pre-ordered it. But this is effectively a reprint of Cloud9 and uses the similar thing of you're flying around in a ship and you roll dice to see whether you can advance to the next stage and people decide whether they want to stay in your ship or jump out and get less points, but obviously not crash. There's obviously some rule additions to this, so it'll be maybe a slightly more complex version of it, or it'll just add some little bits here and there. But the Cloud9 wasn't exactly much of a looker, so this one is certainly going to solve that problem. And if it is essentially like Cloud9 with some extra bits, I don't see why I wouldn't enjoy it, because just watching Cloud9 made me thought, hmm, this is actually quite a fun push-a-luck game. I, I reckon I'll enjoy it. So, again, it's a slight bit of a gamble, but then aren't most purchases you get at Essen really more of a gamble? Because, let's face it, it's not like you're able to try before you buy really easily. So, putting a little bit of hope into this one, but so far it looks pretty good. Celestia, number five. Number four, I almost kickstarted, but I wasn't certain I was going to be that enticed in the game. And I must admit, I'm trying to hold back on kickstarters unless I'm certain I'm going to like it. You know, whether it's by a reputable company or maybe it's like a reprint or a big box version of something old. I am trying to cut down a bit on Kickstarter. This one, though, was fairly popular when it got put on there, and that is Spirits of the Rice Paddy. Spirits of the Rice Paddy looks like it might scratch the Agricola itch a little bit. Granted, I've already got Caverna, but this one looks like it's still in a different enough system that it will sit alongside it. In this game, you're competing with rice farmers to construct and tend rice paddies. And so it's all set in that oriental type location and you can build walls and you can get ducks to to eat harmful pests and fertilize crops, keep the weeds at bay. And obviously you've got to do a lot of water conservation in order to grow your rice paddies in the best way. And on top of that, you even get the spirits being eager to assist, granting special abilities through magic. So it's, I don't know, it's kind of like a weird fantastical farming game. And it does look, it looks reasonably good in terms of quality. The box cover is very nice, the components look good, but just the sound of it sounds really nice. You know, almost like crossing the charm and oriental feel I get from Takinoko with the hard-pressed farming mechanics and, you know, theme that Agricola and Caverna give you, and possibly, I suppose, Lagrania now. So, this looks like it's going to be a nice little mix of the two, and I must admit, I'm looking forward to it, especially as when I pre-ordered it, it also included a solo mode, so solo mode games are always a good thing as well. So, let's see how this one goes. Spirits of the Rice Paddy number four. Number three is... Hmm, will this be the heaviest game on the list? Hard to... T- well, nah, actually, no, it won't be. Mega Civilization and Through the Ages? Yeah, this one's probably coming in at number three on the heavy list. However, that doesn't mean it's going to be light, because this one is released by Vital Lacerda. I probably completely screwed that pronunciation up, in which case I am sorry, but this is The Gallerist. 
The Gallerist is high up on this list because of the hype that I have to play Vinos, the winemaking game made by him, because of how much I love viticulture and how much I'm getting into wine lately, but also because of the love I have for Kanban Automotive Revolution, which is also his design, and I was so gutted that that got played too late to appear on the top 75 because I reckon that could have been a top 20 if not a top 10 contender. I'm really enjoying it. This one is his next venture but it's about running an art gallery so you have almost like a mix of roles the art dealer, the museum curator and the artist manager that kind of thing. You are promoting and nurturing artists buying and displaying their art and exerting your international influence as the game text says. The idea is, is that you will draw visitors from all over the world, build your fortune, having a lucrative gallery, and essentially work in a sort of economical way. Now, the theme is not the first one I would pick. Certainly, I much prefer the winemaking and the motor car making theme than art galleries. I'm certainly no art expert by any means, but... If his games, uh, sorry, if his other games are anything to go by, the fact that I really want to play Vinos so much, and the fact that I really love Kanban, it's by this designer, it's another one of his games, he's doing a good job so far in showing me that you can have a heavy Euro game bristling with theme. So, here's hoping, the gallerist at number three. Number two is a relatively small expansion, but it's for a game I really like and feel it could use an expansion by this point, and that is the Kraken expansion for Abyss. Abyss doesn't get a lot of love these days because it wasn't exactly marketed as well as it could have been, I don't think. The artwork is absolutely gorgeous on this game, and the box cover is really cool, having pretty much nothing but this giant face on it. But that didn't really tell you much about how the game played. But essentially, Abyss is a really good card tableau building game. You are trying, you're using these little mini cards of various sea creatures, the allies, in order to purchase and some, well, purchase and get the influence over various lords. And they all have their own card. They're all really nice artwork. They're split into different categories, like diplomats and the farmers and the militants, that kind of thing. And the idea is, is that you build up the tableau in front of you to get the most points and get these locations, which again, great artwork that and unlock either special abilities or get you more points for getting certain things. It's relatively simple and very easy to teach but it's just a very smooth flowing game and you get to use these little pearls as currency which is really cool until you drop them and realize they roll like crazy. Kraken is bringing in a new black pearl currency which they haven't explained much about it but it makes me think of the corruption from Lords of Waterdeep in that yes you can use this to purchase things and you will get good stuff with it but if you're caught with it then you're in trouble so it makes me think it's similar to the corruption mechanic but maybe not quite the same like it won't give you minus points but it will certainly be a hindrance if you use too much of it and of course you've got extra allies extra locations you know so it's probably going to be a small box expansion I would have thought if it's any bigger than that I'm going to be surprised and certainly wanting to know what's in there but Abyss could use an expansion, and it's perfect timing. So I like Abyss. I really like Abyss. Uh, I believe it was quite high on my top 75 list, and I reckon you should check it out if you haven't already. If not, come find me. I'll show it to you myself. But not until I've got the expansion for it, at least. Abyss, Kraken number two. There were a lot of choices for this top 10 list, so let's have a quick recap of some honourable mentions. Nations Dynasties Expansion 
Nations, as I've already mentioned, is a really good high quality game, but it does need a little bit of extra differentiation between the various players in order to make it shine. Nations Dynasty sounds like it's going to basically address that exact criticism I have with the game and give me all sorts of unique player abilities. So it's definitely high on the list, but I'm just hoping that it does the right job. Dice City Dice City by AEG looks like it's going to be a contender against Mati Koro, which I can't stand. So why am I interested in Dice City? Well, Dice City, besides having much better looking artwork and a somewhat more of a semi-strategic aspect to the game, even though you are rolling dice, has the cool aspect that you are changing individual faces of each colour dice you have in order to get resources and do various things. So it looks like there's going to be a nice amount of variety in this game, it will be simple to play and teach, and it's using dice and I could probably use some more dice fillers in my collection, so Dice City is certainly going to get a look. Pandemic Legacy now, I haven't tried the legacy aspect with anything yet, and Pandemic has gone a bit downhill in my favourite co-ops in terms of how much I like to play it, but maybe the legacy aspect is just what this game needs in order to bump it higher on my like list. Not to mention the idea that it's a co-op, meaning that I can teach it to other people, and I already have several people interested to play this with me on a regular basis. So, will this be just what Pandemic needs in order for me to like it again? We shall soon see. Pandemic Legacy. Okay, we are at the number one game that I am looking forward to at Essen. And some of you might be disappointed in the fact that it is essentially just an expansion and a relatively small expansion. But it is an expansion for a game I really like because it hit my top 10 of my top 75 list. And some of you might cry foul because you're saying, oh, well, this came out of Gen Con. Well, some of us couldn't get to Gen Con, alright? Some of us haven't even been able to get it in the UK yet. So we've been waiting until Essen for a chance to pick up this game. And it's going to get put into my original base box as soon as I get back. And I am going to love it. And that is Takinoko Chibis. Takinoko is already going so well in my local gaming group. I have taught it to many people. They have all loved it. Some have gone out and bought it after I've shown them. I'm seeing it getting played more. Maybe I've started a trend, who knows? And Chibis is allowing me to go, right, not only do I have this really cool little panda miniature, now I got the female panda miniature, and then I can go make babies, and the jokes are just going to write themselves. It's... Basically a more of the same expansion, but adding tiles that have special abilities as opposed to just generic what color they are. More objectives that have some you know, more interesting ways of getting points. And of course the added bonus of getting points through getting the female panda to make some babies. It looks like it's going to make one of my favorite games even better. And I was annoyed that I could not get a copy of this around the summer when it was released at Gen Con. And the fact that I have not seen it in the UK since is infuriating. But when I go to Essen, it's pre-ordered, it's going to be boxed in with the Takinoko Deluxe Expansion, which yes, I know, Chibis doesn't work with the Deluxe Expansion. The Deluxe Expansion is more of a uh, something I'm going to take to open days and conventions for a laugh. But I'm, it's there, it's waiting for me. Come on, Essen, I'm getting you. Takinoko Chibis, number one game I'm looking forward to. That's them, that's my top 10 
Essen games that I'm looking forward to, and there was quite a few honourable mentions there because, well, there is a lot of stuff I'm looking forward to, and there's probably more games that I'll buy when I'm there. This is going to be an expensive month, I can see it now, and it's going to be an expensive month purely because of what I'm going to spend in the space of four days. Well, technically a week, because I've already pre-ordered some of the stuff, and some of that required buying now. But there's going to be more stuff coming that I've got to buy, because not all the pre-orders required buying now. They require me to take a bucket load of cash with me and pay on the day. I've got, I'm going to have to get some IKEA bags from a friend, or I'm going to have to acquire some myself. And I'm going to have to hope that my party that I'm going with keeps that van that they've brought along nice and close, because it's going to be hard to carry them all around. Anyway, that's it for me. I've got to get on with the rest of my evening and edit this podcast, and then maybe I can actually have some spare time to myself for once. It's been an extremely busy week and a half of gaming and juggling a lot of stuff in my life, and I'm only finally getting to grips with most of it anyway. But for now, I'll be gearing up for Essen. I look forward to seeing some of you at Essen. My name is Luke Hector. Come and find me. Say hi. Just, you know, you don't have to say you love the podcast and that. You know, just come and say hi. Shake my hand. Tell me about yourself. I'd love to meet you. I will definitely be checking out the Dice Tower booth while I'm there. Probably one of the first things I'll be doing on Thursday. And I hope to get a ticket for the live show as well. Maybe they'll let me turn up on stage. I have no idea. I have no idea what Tom's got planned for the uh, Dice Tower live show. He did put out a word a while back saying that he wanted help towards it and then never said anything about it since. Maybe because he got all he needed from uh, Yellow, the board game publisher. Perhaps that was all he needed. But hopefully I'll see some of you there, whether at the live show, whether at the Dice Tower booth, or just wandering around, picking up games and checking out the cool stuff. This is my first Essen, and I cannot wait. So that's it. Take care. Enjoy playing games. I hope to see some of you at Essen. If not, I'll see you soon. Take care. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to The Broken Meeple. Thank you for your continued support. If you wish to check out more of my work, you can find my website at www.brokenmeeple.blogspot.co.uk. You can also find me on Twitter at The Broken Meeple, and also check out my Facebook page. The music used in this podcast has been kindly provided by CMA Music. I'm Luke Hector, you take care, and enjoy the hobby.